And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.33 and I am delighted to welcome back to Minnesota just in time for the cold finally to come our good friend Barb Lamson. Good morning Barb. Hey good morning Karen. Now you just we've been having all these 50 temps breaking all these records and you decided to come back when we're going to start to have maybe the first below zero temps coming. You know we were watching we wanted to get ahead of the snow. Sure. And uh uh, 1,200 miles isn't bad when you don't have snow and ice. True. But when you have any part of that uh, with snow and ice, it becomes a nightmare. Well, you were down in Georgia. I was. And how was the weather down there? I mean, it was 50s here, so, I mean, we didn't even have frozen ground. Now we finally are getting right. it. But I was wondering how you were doing if things were green no, or... You know, we had... No, their grass goes dormant. Oh. They have a different kind of grass. Sure. And so the, it's all brown. But we had actually three frost warnings. Really? Which, oh. Yeah, yeah. And so when you when you have that, I mean, your, your perennial plants survive in that. But if you have tropical plants outside, you have to cover them or sure. something or just take a chance. Well, it never got that cold. Okay. But and and they're also forecasting that they could get some ice um, in the weeks coming up, and they were they were buying up uh, salt brine. It comes in these huge, big plastic containers, so they could spray the roads, and they get very. Uh, they prep early. They, believe they, me. That's traumatic for them because right. they they're not used to that at all. No, and they don't have snow plows. No snow plows. Wow. Okay. So nothing like that. And of course, uh, if there's even a snowflake that would come down, <laughs> they the close school, everything. The school would close. <laughs> everything would close. Yes. Stay home. Don't be on the highways. That. So so they're pretty cautious about all of that. But um, we just thought, oh well, yeah. I forget how many hundreds of thousands of gallons of salt brine they ordered and had brought up brought in and stocked up and they also have uh, part-time people they can call in you know for doing all this work okay so they had 125 125 workers that they could call in if they needed extra help if things got really bad. Well, you know, I think we've seen in the past how sometimes they are basically shut down. Yes. So hopefully they've learned and are planning ahead. Now, is that salt brine? Is that stuff they bring in from the ocean? I was wondering. Or? I, I don't know where that comes oh, from. Okay. But we put it on here too. Oh, a lot okay. of a lot of your uh, uh, it's it, they put it on in advance of the ice and that it's extremely effective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and we've talked before about this, the damaged salt getting in the plants can oh, really harm yeah. them just a little bit in our waters and things. So if you can find some an alternative, we yeah, encourage that's that. That's right. You know, um, I always read uh, where whenever I'm on vacation or any place, I try and get the local newspaper. I like to keep up on mm -hmm. on what people are interested in, what's going on. Sure. And I was surprised to see uh, the first Sunday that I was there, the USDA map, when we talked about the zone changes. <clears throat> and it made the front page of, of, of their newspaper. And they talked about how uh, we're in Columbus, Georgia. We're right along the um, western edge of the state, and we're midway in the center we're peach country sure. and it's called peach tree country up there and um it's just um 
It's just a nice place to live. There's lots of peaches, blueberries, berries, and the whole article in the paper about them is how it's going to affect these farmers. You know, a peach, are they getting hotter as well? Because we're getting a lot hotter. So yes, and you know what affects them? It's not the heat in the summer. It's that they don't have the cold in the winter. And I didn't know this before, but for fruit trees, in order to form buds, they have to have the frost. They have oh. to have the cold. And that that um, stimulates the tree to produce the bud. And without the bud, you're not going to have fruit. I, I mean, mean, I knew that with, with that. We've got apples and things, obviously, and we get that cold. But I didn't know that was the yeah, case with the right. citrus, too. And, and they probably won't. They won't be able, in this area, if they go to the northern part of the state, way north, it's like here where the zones are changing depending on where you live in the state. So if you go to the northern part, you'll still be able to grow peaches there. But these poor farmers that have these beautiful orchards with peaches, and also they raise a high bush blueberry, they won't be able to grow those anymore either. So they're saying one of the things they will be able to grow now is olive trees, but it takes five years from the time you plant a, an olive tree until you can start harvesting and selling. So there's going to be a, um, a big gap there, and there's a lot of concern for the farmers what they're going to do. And it's just a whole lifestyle change. And where we live, there's um, a lot of the farmers, um, they put in enough trees so they harvest commercially and sell commercially, but they have, you can go in and pick your own. That's a big business for them, and they've been doing that for years and years. And there's lots of um, processing that happens locally, too, with making peach jams and jellies. So they'll be losing jobs or having to yeah. basically flip Everything something, around. To, yeah, some something will have to happen for them to fill in while they wait for, like, olives and that. And, you know, olives, look at the labor involved with picking olives. Yeah, what, what, how do you pick an olive? I mean, there I, must be some commercial way. Yeah. I, I, I think I have a picture. Because, I mean, with peaches, don't they have to do those by hand? Because, I mean, yeah, they one, do. Because that's really labor intensive yeah, as well. Yeah. Here's a gentleman with his peach crop, or his uh, olives, he's picked them and, and is getting ready to sell them. So, yeah, there's, and there's different types of olives, okay. too. You know, there's the green olives, and then there's the ripe olives and that. So it's a whole different kind of, 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 uh, of farming for them. So Which we'll, makes you wonder, is, is that <coughs> peach farming going to have to go further north? Are people then in yeah. the next state up going to have to do it? And then they're going to have to start new orchards and... And so it's going to be basically a whole shift. Yeah, and you might wonder, if you were listening to us talk about this, well, how does that affect me? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we want, um, if you're used to buying uh, Georgia peaches, mm -hmm. you know they're really good. Right. And uh, when we lose a supplier like that and they don't come from there, where do they start looking for them? Where do they have the right climate so we can get them? Maybe it's going to be... South America someplace, maybe. Who knows? And we, we do like to buy things that are grown here in our country where we have control over the chemicals and things that go in. So it does, it does affect us. And also, there will be no more blueberries. That It's way, way too hot to So raise. we do have blueberry growing, I know, up 
in parts of like Wisconsin and, mm-hmm. and yeah. parts north. Right. But so do they, because I know a lot of times we get those big fat blueberries and they'll say from Georgia or wherever. Yeah, so right. those are going to be right. no And longer? that was a different variety. See, those oh. are the shrub ones. Okay. And and so no, they, they, they're not able to grow those either anymore. So, so do they just get rid of that and, and try something new? Is that what's happening well, down there? I think the extension agent, I think extension is trying to help them switch over to some other crops. But with most of these things, like if it's not a tree, if it's some kind of a in-ground kind of a plant, an annual plant you would harvest, um, you have to, I mean, it takes time and it, right. it takes knowledge to, to grow these things and do it effectively. So they were interviewing some of the farmers, and and they said the ones that had started like raising olive trees, uh, knowing the right varieties, knowing how to spray them, to treat them, you know, all of that. It it you you just don't learn that overnight. Well, you know, like when you talk about gardening is a big experiment, it's a big learning curve. I mean, yep. you've been doing it for years and years and years, and we still learn new things. Yeah, exactly. I was reading. Uh, one of the columnists there, uh, Norman Winter, who uh, he actually doesn't live too far from us, uh, and uh, he he has a, a syndicated column, and he talked about how uh, he is learning, and he said one of the things he learned about these hardy plants that are drought tolerant, because uh, he said it, during a drought he has always watered. And this year and the last couple of years, he hasn't done that. Oh. And he said his drought-tolerant plants do better during a drought if you leave them alone. Is that right? You don't water them. Oh. They have a mechanism for They slow down. They go dormant. And they're going to survive because they're, they're, they're developed as drought-tolerant. Okay. So don't keep... Just don't keep uh, watering them then. So does that go with, uh, I mean, ornamental lawn plants too, that you've got drought-tolerant things? Would you then just say, well, I'm not going to water this and, you know, be concerned yeah. about them going dying? Or there, there's a, there must be a range. Okay. Of, um, and, you know, like, uh, we were surprised to hear that we were in a drought. We knew it was dry. Mm-hmm. But when do you go from being dry and then, if then there's yeah. a drought? And then how long do you go without rain? You know, that's my big thing with this uh, with this uh, drought business. Is it going to rain next week? Is it going to rain? You know, do I take those eight water barrels that I've got? Do I use them up now? And I think I'm going to get to replenish them. You know, probably you just don't know. Right. And and we're still, you know, we still haven't had any moisture. And, you know, we think about we've had those droughts the last two years here. And I keep thinking, boy, if we don't get anything in the spring, it's really going to be tough. And you should see... Uh, traveling um, across the south, coming north, you should see the the creeks and rivers and the sandbars sticking up. Well, they're they, all dried up. They are dry, very, oh. very, very dry, yeah, yeah. And uh, where we live, there's also areas, as you go up towards Pine Mountain, there's a lot of pine trees in that, and those forests, they're just thick with conifers, and if they don't get moisture, they could have some terrible uh, problem with burns and fires. Oh, just like California. Yeah. I just was talking with on my Everyday is Earth Day show last week with a, a tree expert talking about how conifers and things, you're not going to really be seeing those a lot of places anymore except real far, far north because they just can't. 
they just can't take it anymore. And the, right. you're going to see the whole number of different trees that are going to be taking over. And that's going to be all changing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I'm sure that we've gone through this before. But in my lifetime, I can't remember, um, you know, the, the winters changing so much as they are now. I mean, everything is kind of up in the air, up in the air. So, right. Yeah. I An other interesting article that I read while I was gone, it was about Pantone. You know, we always talk about Pantone. You mean the Pantone? That's yeah, how I say Pantone. It. Those are the colors that they choose for, like, yes. what's the color of the year and what, yes. yeah, like the painting companies use. Yes. And this year they selected peach fuzz. Oh. That's the color that they're calling for. And, uh, and then one of the really smart um, producers of new plants decided that we should have a <laughs> peach fuzz rose bush. Oh, and it is a shrub rose. Is it is it hardy for here? Uh, see, in this article, it tells us everything about it except where the hardiness oh, okay. zone is. So we'll have to look and see. It's called flavor it. Honey apricot, a new shrub roast making its debut. What's uh, the first part of it? I'm going to type it in and see. Uh, flavor right. Flavor right. Like that sounds like a food, but yeah, it does. But they probably because um, the flowers are edible. Oh wow! And it also has <gasps> fragrance. Barb, it says hardy in zones four through eight, standing oh, wow. three to four feet tall. Honey apricot forms a mounding habit of bright green foliage that pairs well with the peachy orange flowers that bloom all summer. Right. Oh, my They're goodness. They're doubles. They're not singles. You think a lot of times on those shrub roses right. you get single. but And, of course, you know, a newspaper, even though it's in color, I'm sure... Oh, looking on it, I'm, I have it on my screen here, and it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I'll have to go stick my so nose in So that's the Pantone you want to get in your garden if you want to be up with the trends. Yes, yes. You know what they're talking about here is how uh, the bright oranges and the bright reds, the, you need to tone those down. You can have a more calming uh, garden that goes together you get one look when you don't have those really harsh colors and you use some of these softer colors and what's really pretty cool about so so it, you're saying okay you can have the bright colors but you use like a softer like a peach or something yeah, to kind it, of bring it down a notch or something yes, yeah yeah exactly and what they're saying here in this in this article which is kind of cool is they list other uh plants that are uh, now being offered in peachy colors. Oh. So if, if you're thinking you want to introduce peach into your garden, just put up, if you're on the web, just put up peachy plants, peachy colored plants, okay. and see what you get. And you'll get a whole list. Agastache, that's uh, the plant that I tried last year. Yeah, that mostly is zone five and above, so I've never tried it. But, you know, I found one that is zone four. You did? And I raised it, and um, uh, this was the second summer. I'm very happy with it. And it, it came back. Yes, because okay. the bees like it. Oh. So, yeah. So, again, you know, things are changing. Well, you know, I have never been able to find any lavender either, and I found one that is a zone 5, but it's been coming back too. So, and I, it's kind of in front of the south side of the house, so it's warmer right. in that. But, right. But I was shocked. I thought, well, this is a one one and done, but it, it came back. So Yeah, yeah. So, what a bonus. What a bonus. Sometimes it's really, if you find something that really looks great, I mean, it's worth trying. I, I think this new rose will be something that we might see in a lot of in a lot of gardens around here. And if you're 
um, have a favorite nursery, you might go to them and, and ask them if they're going to feature it. Well, you know, it's interesting because it says it's a Proven Winners. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, Proven Winners, is a we know, is a great company because we've had really good luck with That's that, too. Right. And they sell them at other places. I'm seeing on this, a Home Depot popped up that they're going to carry it. So, I mean, obviously, they're going to be marketing it at other places. Right, so. right, right. I hope that it's a potted plant and not bare root so we can see the color of the blooms. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, sure. I mean, on the picture on, online, it's beautiful. Yeah. So. Yeah, right, right. I did order, by the way, you talk about roses. I I got my David Austin catalog, and David Austin roses are those beautiful English roses, and I did order three. Oh, lovely. Of the same kind, because, you know, I'm so used to buying one here, because I think this is pretty, and one there, because yeah, that's pretty. Right. But like we've always talked about, you need to have more repeating patterns. So That's right, you do. I found one that's, uh, it is a zone four, and it's, um, I think it's three and a half to four feet tall, but uh, I've got a spot and what for color? It. It's, it's a bright pink. So Pink, wow. You know, and I've got other pinks and things to kind of, I've got some light pinks I so like I can pink. tone them down. Right. And then I probably plan on doing my Vista Tunias, Petunias, mm -hmm. because they come in that bubblegum pink. And so I, I maybe sure. have some of that with some purples and things. So that's what I'm thinking about mm -hmm. for this summer. I read several articles about Super Tunis while I was gone. And uh, the Super Tunie, am I saying that right? Super Tunie? I say Super Petunia, but yeah. yeah. They, they sh it was Tunie, T-U-N-I-A, okay. Tunie. Okay. Right? Super Tunie. Uh, which is the same thing there, uh, was getting high marks for being such a great uh, spreading plant. Mm -hmm. If you've got a border and you've got a place to, spill, uh, to fill, be sure and put those in or include those in your, in your plantings. And the Vista varieties are even more vigorous. I mean, you okay. those are so, so Vista Super Petunia are so vigorous. I mean, I planted three and I literally had a whole huge area of color. I mean, it took by the end of the summer, I, you know, I was right. just, I was like, is this only three plants? I couldn't believe wow. it. And Did the you nice, have them in the full sun? Yeah. Did you? In the, oh, in the wow. ground. I, yeah. I A lot of times I'll put them in pots too, but these were all in the ground and I did the Vista Supertunias. One was a, a, a very um, fuchsia pink. Then there was the bubblegum, which is the light pink. And then I had right. another that's called silverberry that's more of a white with a pink throat. And so those just uh, real complement each other. And sure. they were the fillers in my garden amongst all the, the uh, lilies and things. So they kind of surrounded the ground. And so it was a ground cover, basically. You know what's really nice is when you have a plant, <clears throat> and it's a named variety, and the um, uh, store offers it in, in several colors. Yes. <clears throat> because all of us are trying different we're we're using color and we're trying to harmonize and pull things together so it's really really nice when you can find those things one of the things also that i wish that our growers would do i have found a lot of information talking about bees favorite and bees really like are drawn to uh, purple plants and so i wish we would have more um things that were labeled for bees and pollinators. I think they're getting better about that now because even with the, I've noticed a lot more nurseries and places having this section for n native plants too, mm -hmm. that they never, you never used to see that wow. cordon off before. And so <clears throat> I, I think people are more conscious of that. At least that's what it seems like to me. But with the purple, you know, you talk about the salvias and the, the lavenders that, mm -hmm. like I said, we couldn't grow before. Some of those are really 
great for the bees. Yeah. You know, um, delphinians are a nice plant, too. Now, are they a perennial, or do they just reseed? Because I've got this one that's come back, and then I've got others that don't come back. So I was wondering. Well, you know, there's different there's different types of oh. delphinians, too. But the tall ones, um, they're perennials, and, and uh, I've had really good luck with them. I've always loved delphinians. Used to see them a lot in, in very formal plantings, very formal settings. But now, any place you have a spot where you need a height, especially towards the back of the garden, or maybe a little surprise in the middle. Huge pop of color because some of them are those beautiful deep blue, purple. And purple, yeah. And they've got some whiter ones and <coughs> lavender ones as well. But I've noticed that too, where they're really high. And then they kind of, they're, they're done, but then you cut them and they come back right. again, just you, smaller blooms. You have to really be brave here. And, and yeah. you take off that top growth. And, and you do that soon enough so that they can make tall spikes again and get time to bloom. Also, I've noticed that some of the flowers, the, um, the centers on some of them, uh, especially the light blue, the, the very center um, uh, where the pollen would be, that's a darker color. Mm-hmm. And, and it just they just pop. And sometimes it's just white in there. And they really, really pop in the garden. Yeah, and that's one that I just by chance bought one time and didn't really know much about them, and it was so glorious. In fact, that was the one year <coughs> I got such a beautiful bloom. I took it to the uh, Nicollet County Fair and got the Grand Champion, and sure. was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, <laughs> you know, when I saw the first delphinians, I think it was at the Arboretum Growing, Oh, okay. and I decided to join the Delphinian Society. Oh, you did? Are yeah. you still a member of that? No, I'm not. Okay. I, you know, I, um, you get other interests too, and you can only grow so many delphiniums, right. and you can only, uh, you only have time to read so many things. But uh, I think I kept a lot of their information. Uh, but I just absolutely was amazed. The first delphinian plant bought one plant to yep. see if I could keep it going, and I did. And the and the second summer it got about. Uh, Oh, I'd say about four feet tall, and I knew I had to uh, stake it. Yes. And there they, uh, one of the things they talk about is uh, using like uh, bamboo stakes, the kind that you oh. buy that are real skinny, and individually tying up each um, each stake or each stem that's coming up. Well, I found that after the <laughs> second year, too, that I had to put a something because they flopped otherwise, and mm-hmm. I did take one of those they have those peony cages oh, so yeah. i put that before it got very tall so then they grew up in there uh you know in in the the wire so they were kind of had that support yeah when they were you know <clears throat> growing otherwise sometimes if you wait too late then they're already floppy so right that's true and and sometimes if you do um uh you 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 think you've got something that's more like a a column that's tighter mm-hmm. and and they can still have enough play in there and and they they'll really be you, you don't have to worry about them breaking off they're just moving with the wind then yeah so. I've learned with some of my <laughs> lilies that because they get really top heavy that yeah. I'm gonna have to stake some of those next year because there was one they had just these beautiful beautiful lilies and they were well about four feet tall or so and I don't know if there was a wind or whatever but they all snapped yeah. and all the blooms were hanging down and you know just just a stock. It yeah. Was, oh, what a disappointment. It was. <laughs> it was a disappointment. I know. But that's, you know, that's what happens sometimes when you're... The thing I think uh, about, that I like about the lilies is uh, you get that bud 
Now, that is a big thing. Oh, yeah. That must be, oh, I don't know, three inches, something like Some that. Some are bigger, yeah. Yeah, and and you think you knew what color you planted. Right. And then as it slowly gets bigger and it starts opening up, then you see the true color. But right away, it's probably darker than what it's really right. going to be. And then it finally opens up, and there it is. You go running out in the morning, and you see this. Surprise! It's a whole bouquet. Yeah. It's like... Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, in fact, speaking of lilies, the International Lily uh, Convention is going to be in Minnesota, in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, mm-hmm. this July. So I'm really excited about that. So I th- the um, registration just opened now. So if you have an interest in lilies, it's tr- uh, trumpet lilies, Asiatic lilies, Oriental wow. lilies. And mm-hmm. it's really reasonable. It's like $100 for this whole convention that's like three days long and you can you know show your plants you can learn all about they've got these great speakers but it's july 10th through the the 14th so that i'll be taking that time off i don't know if you'll be coming or not but you know um our kids are coming home this summer all oh so maybe alexander is coming from germany and chad's coming from alaska jamie is coming from ohio patricia from georgia so you might be busy I, well uh, but you know um Chad is such a big lily grower. Oh, yeah. I'll have to find out. He He wouldn't be able to take three days just to go to this convention. But he could maybe... maybe he can come for speakers or something. Because they've also got tours that you don't have to go through everything that people can go on as well. Oh, yeah. That would be great. And my garden is one of the tours, but not for the bus, because the the buses are going around the Twin Cities, and mine's like, if you want to drive a little farther, you got to come down here. But as we know, if you're going to have your place on a tour... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It Oh, it is a lot of work, right? Right. And you have to have people there to help you, too. Right. Don't make that mistake and think you can do the whole thing because people will be all over your yard, front, back, sides, asking questions. Right. Where did you buy this? Yeah, but it's, it's a joy. It's a it, joy. It really is. And it forces you to really... <laughs> To pay attention to that. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Kind of like when you have company to your house, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to clean this. Yeah. <laughs> I got to dust. You know, one thing I wanted to mention while we're on the air is it's kind of uh, the season where your house has been very uh, hot and dry or even if dusty. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of times people have problems with their house plants this time of year. You see some of them just aren't doing well. Uh, maybe the leaves are getting brown or maybe they're falling off. Uh, maybe they're not getting enough sunlight or maybe what you need to do is put in some way like a vaporizer or some way of getting humidity in the sure. air and and th- that will perk them out but they literally dry out and then you have dust besides and you can also help them if you regularly wash the leaves is you, a spray you can. bottle i mean you just water right is that right, right right and a little yeah. soft rag or q-tip yeah, if and they're small and, yeah yeah and do that regularly that that's very very helpful because if they're covered they don't get the photosynthesis and grow like they should so. that's right and um i have um a couple of um they're just dinner forks that I shove into a plant, and I'll leave one in, in these bigger ones, and I just work the soil up with that. To because, loosen it a little bit? Yeah, because it does from that, just that watering, it they do dry out, and the soil does too. It compacts too. Yeah, yeah. it does. It does. So just uh, you're going to aerate them the same way you'd aerate your garden. I know you use, a lot of times you use chopsticks too, because that's when you can get deeper. Yeah, yeah. So. 
Okay, well, we are out of time, unfortunately, and I know we've got questions from somebody about fungus gnats. We'll have to talk about that. I've had them. Let me tell you, I've had them. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. I'm so excited that you're back, and I know you're really excited because you saw, well, you got pictures of baby Lily, your first great-grandchild. I I got a chance to go back to uh, my class, which is the third graders that I volunteer with when I'm there. Fantastic, fun Lots of good things going on with kids. In you mean down in Florida, in Georgia. Or Georgia? Oh, I didn't know you yeah, had I go it. every year. Yeah, huh. I do. You're so yeah. you're you're such a busy lady. I just love it. I love it. All okay. right, thanks, Barb. Thank you, Karen. All right, always great to have Barb. So happy to see her again, and it's like bringing a ray of sunshine back to Minnesota.